You're listening to the Veteran Etc. Podcast, as there's always more to be said about a veteran. Join your host, Mike Kim, a veteran, ex-monk, season war trauma therapist, and writer, as he shares his years of research in veteran readjustment culture and the meaning of warrior life. Now, here's your host, Mike Kim. Veteran, etc. This is a show focused on veteran readjustment culture, not just veteran culture. When I say veteran readjustment culture, I'm talking about the lives, the intersubjectivity in our relationships as veterans with society, the different meanings made out of the TV shows, movies, books, etc. That's what it's about. I'm your host, Mike Kim, and today's episode deals with war trauma and the story, an audio essay. In my work with war trauma patients going back to the 90s, and I should say at that time, they were mostly clients because I was not officially a clinician back in 1992, 93. Instead, I was uh, working and doing community work in New Haven, Connecticut, where I was attending graduate school. And in that time, I ended up meeting a number of vets on the streets of New Haven while doing social ministry. At that particular time, uh, my studies were tied to looking at social action, looking at philosophy, looking at psychology as ways to create individual and social change. It was a very rewarding experience coming across this one guy once as I was strolling the streets of New Haven. I'm not sure if I was headed to a pub, to a pub or to class, but I did notice something quite interesting. And that was Frankenstein-looking guy as far as height and strength pulling a car out of snow. No, this wasn't Franco Colombo, the bodybuilder, doing this. This was some guy I had seen over and over again on the streets in New Haven, just walking around in, let us just say, somewhat of a refined hope a black refined coat that seemed to be something out of Brooks Brothers. I can't put it together, but this person who appeared to be homeless seemed to be out on the streets every day. He didn't show any real signs of being homeless other than having just a very numb stare, a very deadening look to him. But on this particular day, he was pushing or pulling a car out of snow. And I I just was really amazed. And he was helping a, a lady and she thanked him. There was no money exchange and he kept on walking. Days later, I ran across this man on the streets and without fear, I just asked him, asked him, 
what were you doing the other day? I, I saw you pulling uh, a car out from the snow, the, the back end somewhat of, of a small little car. The guy introduced himself as John and he had a smile and he did not have that deadened face. And I said, you know, that it was a pleasure meeting him, that I walked by him numerous times. And he had said that he had recognized me and that I had lived in the apartment building right next to the art and architecture school. And I was amazed that he actually knew where I lived. I, I had asked him why he walked the streets. And he had told me that, well, John had walked the streets to think and I had asked him, well, what was he thinking about? And he said that he was thinking about the lives of people that he killed. And I was astonished that he was so open about it. Um, I said to him, instead of asking him, how many people did you kill? Or how did you kill these people? As often, civilians and veterans will ask veterans that question. No, I stood back and I just asked him, well, where are you from? And he said, I'm from Connecticut, but I was a banker in New York City. But I thought that's where the jacket, or I should say the coat, that wool coat, that wool cashmere coat that I saw this man wear, walk the streets of New Haven. When New Haven was quite the violent place. Just a few years before that, there was a student that was shot right on, right on campus by someone who lived in New Haven and was not a student. The social ills of New Haven really affected me and to the point where I needed to take a year off from school and work out in the community. And it was meaningful work. And part of that meaningful work was to come across John. And as John said that he worked in New York, but was from Connecticut and that he was a banker, I thought this man had a life before Vietnam. I then said, well, did you go to Yale? And he said, no, he went to a small middle military college in Vermont. And I said, hot dog, did you go to Norwich? And I said, using that great Norwich greeting, Essayon, brother. We shook hands. We smiled at each other. And he said to me that he had graduated from the class of 1968, I believe. I was born in 1968. And he had graduated and entered the Air Force as an Air Force officer and was a flight navigator on a bomber. Again, I didn't probe. I just smiled at him, I just heard him. I heard him say things to me and we parted ways. Throughout the months, I would periodically see John on the street and we'd say hello, we'd greet each other. I just remembered right before graduation in 1995, that was just one of my favorite spring experiences all throughout my life with all the parties right before graduation, all the students, and just the spirit of, of new life. Yes, I was going to graduate and experience 
my new life, finishing a graduate program, possibly going into the monastery at that point. Eventually I did. Or going on, who knows, maybe New York, maybe the bright lights of New York City. I ended up doing that afterwards. But I didn't know where I was headed to. All I know was that I was headed to do this ancient pilgrimage, this 1,000-mile pilgrimage. I did 400 miles of it because I had only 30 days to do it in Spain, the Camino de Santiago. Immediately, I needed to focus on graduation and, and finish work and enjoy spring. And that's what I did. On one of those last days at Yale, I ran into John. He had shaved his beard. His haircut was, I would say, anchor-like. He was definitely banker-like. Unlike my hair, which bordered, let's just say, a mullet and a crew cut. Maybe a crew cut mullet. I just know there was something different. And he didn't wear that coat of his. He had one of these adventure type of jackets, these uh, windbreakers that you see around. And he had a smile on his face. And I asked John what had gone on. And he said that he had spent time at the VA hospital. At that particular time, the VA hospital in New Haven, actually in, I believe, West Haven, was a pioneering place. I knew one of the directors there, if not the one director for the PTSD unit. He was a Vietnam veteran. I forgot his name. I remember he had a hole in his neck. I believe it was due to a wound in Vietnam. I was impressed, though I didn't say anything to John in regards to John spending time at the VA hospital and getting help. He was getting help for what? He was getting help for his unseen wounds from war. When I look at war trauma these days, I'm saddened because the story these days is not so much the story of the veteran, but more the story of a new type of treatment or the story of the person who started the new type of treatment or the story of the great research study, let's say like the PTSD study of 2006 with Colonel Hogue. Again, I'm not hating on these people and these events and these documents, but I will ask, where is the story of the veteran in these stories that are being circulated by different institutions and think tanks. I know that veteran readjustment officially started in Germany with Sigmund Freud. Sure, there have always been like unofficial type of treatment using all different types of medical and spiritual approaches, but it was Freud that formalized veteran readjustment for troops in Germany after World War One, Freud had two sons who served the German military, and he had seen that many, not just his sons, had suffered from war trauma. And what Freud did was he opened free clinics for the poor, 
and in those free clinics, he also opened up sites for veterans to receive free treatment. You know, we see the lasting effect on that with the successful program called the Soldiers Project. And great work, especially if you consider that it was influenced by the Los Angeles psychoanalytic community and provided and still provides, I believe, free treatment to veterans. Kenick in New York, I know, has done incredible work with veterans. And this type of work goes back to the work of Freud. Freud's known for his books on psychoanalysis. He's known for his theories on sex, but he's not known for being a pioneer in veteran readjustment and basically had focused on looking at even standing up to the German government because the German government had blamed soldiers with war trauma as being weak. Freud went up against the military explaining, well, standing up for the soldier. Now, at that time, I get it. Germany was an enemy in World War I, but it's something to understand that things were being done back then, things that we can learn about back then to now. In my own clinical studies, I came across one of Freud's cases, the rat man. Here he deals with a soldier who has an incredible experience in the military and is affected by fears he has towards his commander. And those fears were tied to fears he had with his father. One needs to make a distinction between what happened before the military, during the military, and after the military. I think when it comes to stories, it's important. And Freud was able to capture that in his famous case involving the rat man. When we look at story, we've got to see that military readjustment, veteran readjustment, it's not just about a diagnosis, PTSD. It's the story of readjustment. In 1979, around that time, the diagnosis of PTSD was established. And it was established by a bunch of clinicians at the VA hospital in New York, in Manhattan. Folks like Jack Smith, Robert J. Lifton, and others. Now, I may not agree with some of the practices that were used. Let's just say uh, the story, to a certain extent, doesn't need to be unbridled. But while it doesn't need to be unleashed, I mean, unleashed to a point where we're hero-worshipping, the story needs to be let out in some kind of way. And I think what was pioneering in this type of clinical work was that that sharing of stories led to a community of Vietnam veterans who ended up advocating for themselves politically, culturally, and socially. Because as we saw a few years later, the rise of the Vietnam vet truly really coming out and facing society 
whereas at one time that veteran was hidden from society. And so we recognize the power of story. It wasn't a certain type of treatment. It wasn't a certain type of clinician, but it was the veteran's story. And I'm not just talking about war. I'm talking about service. I'm talking about the service. When veterans have an oath, they serve their country, their story needs to have room to be heard, not the story mediated by the publishing house or by the glitterati of the writing community in America. The stories of veterans need to have room, more room than the adventures of being on ayahuasca as far as getting healed from war trauma in the jungles of Peru, or the stories of having the latest treatment in regards to EMDR. Again, these things are not bad. I would just say, what are the stories behind the therapy? What are the stories tied to those veterans? At one point, a fellow clinician of mine had said, you know, talking doesn't work. And I said to this clinician, it might not work, but it does empower. And so what I meant by that was you may be looking for symptoms management or some checkoff on your list for your research study, but I'm looking at other things. I'm looking at the wellness of that veteran and how that veteran comes out of the clinic, comes out of the center and is relating to his or her wife, husband, child, workplace. You see, these care, these settings, all sorts of meanings. These meanings are the meanings that transcend simple check marks on a data sheet tied to symptoms and a diagnosis. So when we consider the lived experiences of veterans, why not consider the story right after you hear about how the healing miracle occurred in that veteran? Where is the healing miracle of the story in that veteran? Veteran Etc. invites you to join us again with your host, Mike Kim, every Sunday. If the content from this podcast is informative to you, please share the podcast with others. Give a like and or post something you learned from the episode on social media. If interested in other truly informative podcasts like Veteran Etc., check out cominghomewell.com for a listing of other veteran-based podcasts. Thank you for tuning in.